Sirius XM Sports Podcasts presents Mad Dog's Daily Bite with Christopher Russo. And good afternoon, everybody! Well, he called match two today. Not a lot of drama, but I have hopefully some on Sunday uh, with the men's final. Here's our good buddy PMAC, who has been in constant London for a while. Patrick, good to talk. How are you today, pal? Okay? I'm doing well, Christopher. You know, as you said, straightforward, two semifinals, not a ton of drama in either one of the matches. But, you know, the good news is it sets itself up, sets all of us up. And this is the match we wanted to see in, in the tennis world. Uh, Alcaraz against Djokovic in the Wimbledon final. So I think we got what we wanted, again, with two matches today that were pretty straightforward from start to finish. Hi, right, which one are you more surprised about that was that easy? Uh, you, uh, you're surprised that Djokovic didn't sweat or you're surprised that Alcaraz didn't sweat? Which one more? I think I'm a little more surprised about Medvedev that he didn't give Alcaraz more of a match. I mean, I I, I was sort of hoping Sinner would, would step up and make it a match, but even after holding a two-set lead last year. I just, I just feel like Djokovic is just a better player now. And Sinner hasn't improved enough to really compete with him on this surface. So I wasn't that surprised about that one. The second one, I thought Medvedev would change things up. I mean, he's stubborn to a fault, and today it was to a fault because he never changed his position much. He never really tried anything different against Alcaraz, who's electric. I mean, the guy's electric to watch, Chris. The only thing you worry about, you know, going into the final is that um, he can, you know, he's almost too explosive at times. You know what I mean? He'll, he'll, he can, he can make missed shots out of nowhere, and Djokovic is not going to do that. We know on Sunday, but uh, I'm excited. I think it's the two best guys, the 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 you know the old guard hanging strong, and and the and, and the best young player that's out there that we've seen in tennis for a long time. No question about it. What does Alcaraz learn? Forget the grass court. We'll get to that in a second. What does Alcaraz learn that he can put into play Sunday from the Paris French Open final about a month ago on that Sunday? Well, I think he, uh, you know, in that match, I thought he came out really tight. And I was, uh, I was shocked at basically how he just hit himself out of the first set. And Djokovic won it. You know, just said, thank you very much. I'll take it. And in the second set, it was more of the match I expected to see. You know, the slugfest, the counterpunching, the counterattack from Djokovic uh, and Alcaraz just take, you know, throwing bombs, which is basically what he could do and uh, what he can do to like no one we've seen in a while. Uh, so when he won that second set, Chris, I thought, oh, you know, I actually thought Edge Alcaraz, believe it or not, at that particular moment. And literally two games into the third set, you know, he cramps up, which I thought was was 95 percent because of the occasion, the opponent the intensity of that second set, this guy's in phenomenal shape. I, you know, he would not cramp under normal circumstances physically. So to me, it was all mental. And I think that will be the big, you know, that he's, he's went through that. He's learned from that. If you're looking at it from the Alcaraz side, you know, he's going to be able to put that into play in, in this final on Sunday. But it'll be his first Wimbledon final, uh, and it'll be number nine for Djokovic. He hasn't lost on center court, Chris, for 10 years. Yeah, I think that's a little overrated because he did lose on court one uh, to Query, among others. But I, I understand this. That yeah. I, I do understand the statistic. I, uh, I got some rules I want to get to you, too. But let's talk about game plan. I, I mean, listen, he plays well when he's behind. He plays great in a tiebreaker and he's a great front runner. So I don't know what the answer is. If you were Alcarez's coach, what would plan A be and what would plan B be for Sunday morning? 
Well, plan A is go big because he actually can go bigger than, than, than Djokovic. I mean, he can hit bigger. He's more explosive off both wings. But what, what then comes with that is, is a little bit more high risk. You know, and Djokovic is, is the ultimate defender and the ultimate counterattack. He can attack when he has to, but he's the ultimate at sort of assessing what, what's in front of him and what he needs to do to combat it. So if it all of a sudden those, 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 may, those, those haymakers from Alcaraz aren't connecting, then what's plan B to your question, which is a great one. And I think at that point you've got to say, I've got to be able to outplay this guy. You, you know, I don't think he's going to be able to outhit him, actually. So I actually think plan B should be plan A, meaning that he should come out with the idea, I'm going to attack when I can, but I'm also going to play some slow ball when I can to show Djokovic that I'm willing to pay the price physically to win this match. And I believe I can run with you. I believe I can hang with you for three, four hours. Because I don't, I don't think if you send that message to Djokovic that you can actually just out him. Is there a chance, because we haven't seen the type of firepower in a long time, maybe ever, that we see from Alcaraz? Sure. I get, there's a chance that he could get hot. Remember Marit Safin? You know, he, we played Pete Sampras in that U.S. Open final one year, and like, oh, my God, this guy just completely overpowered the great Pete Sampras, who was known as a power player. So if Alcaraz, could, you know, there's the chance, Chris, that he, all of a sudden it's like, boom, this is it. He, he's just going to go for it, and it's going to go in, and he wins three, four, and two. Yeah, I don't think that will happen. I think it's got to be plan B, number one. I don't either. I don't either. And so what I think plan B is, is to use the versatility. You know, he was very successful today against Medvedev serving and volleying. It won't be as easy against Djokovic because Medvedev is so far back. It it was easy pickings. But you have to put that into the game. You have to use that slice backhand. You have to be willing to bring, make Djokovic cover, not just the far end of the court, Chris, but, this, but the end closer to the net. You understand what I'm saying? Most people yes. don't get this in tennis. Like, you, you could keep pushing the guy back, but you actually make him then come forward and, and cover that part of the court. I call it the interior part of the court, from the service box in. I, I haven't seen many players that, that can do that the way Alcaraz can. Can he have the nerve to do it when it's all on the line on Sunday in the Wimbledon final? In other words, can he execute it? That's going to be fascinating for me to watch. Do you think he believes? I do think he believes, yeah. I think he's that good. I mean, I think he's got that much moxie. I think he does believe. Um, now, we're going to find out. And, and even believing doesn't necessarily mean he's going to win. It's, you, know, it, you know, Djokovic is still has a – Djokovic has more subtlety and variety to his game at this point in his career. You know, he can, he, he's just better. You saw today when he got a bad bounce, he's able to get the ball back you know, keep it in play. And that's something that he has an edge in that department in a big way. So Alcaraz, he's got to use a little bit of that. But, you know, he can flat out out-hit Djokovic. But he has to, he has to do it in the opportune moments. And he has to use some setup plays to make that happen. Why is uh, Djokovic so invincible in these tiebreakers? He has what he I never loses. For... He never loses a tiebreak. It's I'm incredible. Every time you turn around. Okay. I'm going to explain to you why, and of course he's mentally tough, and people say, no. The reason is because not only does he have the best technique off every shot, meaning the stroke production, so when things get tight, um, there's less of a chance that anything's going to go wrong. So he has that ability, right? Then he has the ability to do what I call is calibrate his shots. In other words, 
put 60% spin on it. No, now I'm going to put 90% spin. No, this one I'm going to hit a little bit flatter because I'm on the run, and I'm, but I'm going to hit it down the middle and not down the line. He has the ability to do that shot to shot better than anyone in the history of tennis, that he can calibrate and change his shot from shot to shot, point to point. And that mobility, that flexibility, that malleability is what makes him so good now, particularly on this surface, which requires that to be successful. Yeah, uh, the one just good answer. Uh, the one thing I would say if I was Alcaraz, uh, I'm going to attack Djokovic's second serve. I I, yeah, I know that's, that's a great. And, I and, mean, and he did I, that really well today against Medvedev. That's a great point. Have to do that. If there's a weakness with Djokovic's game, it can be he can be a little soft with that second serve, and he doesn't double fault. But it is, it's, it's not, I can get it back. It's not a big second serve. And if I'm Alcaraz, I got to go after that as much as I possibly can. How about that? You agree? I, I totally agree. And I thought he did a masterful job of that today against Medvedev, who's known as, you know, one of the best servers in the game. He took away his ace game, essentially, with his length and his timing and his ability to return the big first serve. And then Alcaraz was able to absolutely pummel Medvedev second serve. I think Brad Gilbert and I talked about it. I think he was at like 30% of points won on his second serve, and that is unbelievably low, maybe even in the mid-20s throughout most of the match. So he was getting punished, and you're right. That is a, that's prob- that may be the shortest ball you'll be able to attack. You know, Because uh, uh, once you get into the rally with Djokovic, he, cre- he, you know, he keeps very good length, and, he, and as I said, he can calibrate a shot. So I think you're spot on, and I think Alcaraz has the ability to do that off both wings. Do you think, uh, what sort of percentage you want to give Alcaraz? He's got a 20% chance of winning, 30%? I would say he's no, got I'm about gonna, a 35% chance, 35%. I'm going to say a little over 40. I'm going to say like 44. You know, I think it's a 56, 44. I think Djokovic is a favorite. I don't think he's as big a favorite. I think Brad Gilbert put him, you know, he likes to put him in football terms as a four and a half point. You know, I'd go a little less than that. if I, were, I would say, you know, he's a touchdown favorite. But I think it's close. And I think, and I say that because, you know, they've played twice. The first time they played in Madrid, which is play, but it's quick. It's a little faster because it's a little bit of altitude. And it was an unbelievably tight match over three sets the entire match. Then again, we saw them play two sets at the French. I call it two sets because the last two didn't count because he couldn't move. And, I mean, this is this, these guys can go toe-to-toe, okay? So I, I, I think absolutely Alcaraz, with his firepower, and his athleticism has the game. Does he have enough guile and experience and, 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 and K-State keeping to the basics when it matters most on the biggest points? That I'm not sure about. Yeah, and I, I, I tell you too, I actually think it's a bigger match for Alcaraz than it is for Djokovic. You know, what's Djokovic still have to prove? I mean, you like to see him get a count on the Grand Slam, okay? He's 123, he's 36 years of age. He's going to lose eventually at Wimbledon. He's won, eight, he's won a damn thing, was he won it seven times? And he's got four in a row, so he's going to lose eventually. He's, you know, he's going to lose one of these majors eventually. Nobody's going to kill Djokovic if he loses. Oh, wow, he choked this, that, and the other. He's already got the most Grand Slams. I think if Alcaraz loses, there's a little doubt in how great he really is. So to me, as a sports fan, uh, it's usually be the other way. You know, since the favorite is Djokovic, you put more pressure on him. I actually think right. there's more pressure on Alcaraz in this match, based on Paris and based on the idea that he's, you know, 17 years younger. I know it's his first ever final, but if he's not going to beat him now, when's he going to beat him? So I could make the argument that this is a little more pressure on him than Novak. What's your take with that? 
Well, as usual with, with you, Chris, I agree and, and slightly disagree, but I know you like to exaggerate. So let me tell you how I agree. I, I, I agree there's more pressure on Alcaraz because he's, he, he's so good and, you know, he's won on every surface already. He's got, you know, double-digit titles as, as, a, as a teenager. Now he just turned 20. I mean, you know, so all it's like, to me, the hype is there, but also what we've seen from him on the court tells you it's there. Um, but he does that, you know, you feel like he's got something to prove still. I mean, he got to one, he won the open, but that was because Djokovic wasn't playing and he was, he didn't get vaccinated. So that was a little bit of a farce with the ranking situation. So yeah, you feel like he's number one, but with an asterisk. And now it's like, okay, here's your shot. Let's go. Now on the other side, joke, you're right. Djokovic has nothing to prove uh, to anyone, but he, he, he seems to be reveling in this more than ever before. He just seems to be loving the situation he's in. There's no Nadal. There's no Federer. He's sort of the guy. I said this morning on our show, he's sort of becoming a spokesperson in some ways for tennis. I think he relishes that role. I think he's kind of waited for it, and he's had to chase these guys down historically, and now he's blowing past them. So uh, there is that little pressure for him, I think, in his mind, that like he wants to keep distancing himself. But I think overall you're right. Alcaraz, um, I think, has – you know more pressure going into this one uh, because of how much hype we've had about it, which I think is justified. All right. What reason should I get up tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock and appoint television for the women's final? Why would I do that? Let me hear. Well, I think it's, you know, two amazing stories. And Vondrosova, the Czech girl, um, you know, she made a final of a major as a teenager. She did well at the Olympics there again. And then she all of a sudden she sort of disappears, like happens sometimes in women's tennis. You're like, what happened to this person? Oh, they were out for a year. You know, she had wrist surgeries. And now she's back. She's got, you know, pretty athletic, fun game to watch. But I think the bigger story is on Jabor just for what she means for Arab women, you know, in, in, in her native Tunisia and in that part of the world, also representing the continent of Africa. That's never, you know, these, these things have never happened before. So I think, you know, she plays with a lot of pride and a lot more than just what she does on the tennis court. You know, I, I, it's too early to, you know, say she's an icon, but I mean that she's that type of persona in that part of the world. So I feel like it's destiny for her because, Wimbledon final last year, U.S. Open final. Quite frankly, Chris, I didn't expect her to do this well this year, and she's had a brutal draw. I mean, Andrescu early, then Kvitova, two-time Wimbledon champ, then Rabakina, the defending champ, then Sabalenka. Yeah, yeah it's she's hard. She's had a heck of a run. Good point. It's been Good a tough point. run. I think it's destiny for her. So that's why I think it's a tight match on paper. But I just feel I'm feeling the Wimbledon final and the history. Jabor wins, you know, a close set and wins a straight set. Shiontek loses, of course. That's Patrick's uh, big friend and out of there at the quarterfinals. We'll get to that maybe at the U.S. Open. <clears throat> uh, two rules today. And I, I know your brother, who I love. You know how much I love him. But uh, he never gives the umpire a break. I mean, I thought both calls on Djokovic were correct. If we're going to have a shot clock, serve the ball then, damn it, when it hits, before it hits zero, why have it up there? I mean, what's the point? Was it a guideline? No, it's not. It's a rule. And number two, uh, you know, I saw it on replay three times. I thought he was a little excessive with the grunt as well. The ball was long past his racket, over the net, and then he grunts. So I didn't have any problem with the uh, chair umpire's decision on those two calls. Let me get your thoughts on that before you go. Well, let me start with the hindrance. I agree. I mean, I, I, they need to call it way more than they do. 
And what happened there, Chris, is Djokovic hit it, and when he hit it, it was one of those ones where he thought it was going to be a winner. So he sort of thought, that's, that's, that's my read on it, because he thought, ah, you know, I'm going to win the point in the clean winner. And then the guy gets the, the, the shot back, and I thought the umpire made, it, made a great call. I mean, I could understand Djokovic was annoyed because he's like, this is the Wimbledon semifinal. What are you doing? But at the same time, it should be called, and it should be called a lot more often. And you got to credit Djokovic for not letting it bother him I at agree. all. I, mean, I agree. He didn't care at all. And what was number two? Uh, the, 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 the violation with the time warning on a serve. He deserved that. Oh, yeah. I mean, no, geez. absolutely. Uh, yeah. And, and by the way, they're giving him leeway before that because if, if – they, when they call it officially for the first time, you've already pushed the limit like a couple of times before that, okay? So the chair is paying attention to that. They don't want to get, like, overly involved, so they're just kind of keeping their eye on it. And they might say to you on a changeover, hey, you know, Novak, Rafa, you're taking a little too much time, you know, speed it up, right? But now that there's a serve clock, that, you know, that's, some, it's like in any sport. Some umpires do it, some don't. But, you know, the bottom line is, I mean, it's at zero. And like you said, I mean, either you're going to pay attention to it or not. But, again, the way Djokovic handled these, you know, in the, they're putting a pass where he could have imploded just by that, by that stuff. But now he's like Mr. Zen. He's totally, you know, he's chill about everything. And he has this amazing calmness about him and this, this self-belief. And as I said earlier, Chris, to me, he's just relishing this moment. Like that he's Good the point. guy. He, there's, no, there's no big three now. It's Novak and everybody else. I think he wins. I, I got to give Alcaraz a set. I'll say Novak in four. Let me hear. Alcaraz in five. Wow. Only you would go out on a limb. You call a good match. I'll be watching. Answer your text when I text at 920. I want to hear from you. All right. Have a good one, Chris. Take care. All right. Want more Chris Russo? Listen to Mad Dog Unleashed weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM Channel 82. Mad Dog's Daily Bite is part of the Sirius XM Sports Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts.